you're watching on live because you didn't want to get out in the rain, uh, go ahead and share this video because there's probably other people laying in their beds. Uh, but we're here, and uh, we're excited to be here. But seriously, go share that video. And uh, because we're doing this thing called Gas Day, we've been talking about it all morning, so our social media has been blowing up. So as we share these things, more people see it. And we, we want to talk about God's relentless love today. And uh, so we want people to hear about that. If you guys want to follow along with what's going on at Gas Day, uh, you guys can check out the social media, the Instagram and whatnot, because uh, it's, been, uh, it's been pretty rocking. Uh, I got a call at 745, because uh, News 12 from Philadelphia was on their way uh, to uh, interview Graham. And uh, yeah, that's cool. And uh, so let me, uh, let me pray one more time. Uh, God, I thank you, God, for being a God of relentless love. Father, I thank you for being a God worth coming through the rain, uh, Father, to, to worship in this place. Father, I thank you, Father, that in the midst of storms, your glory shines. Father, I thank you that, Father, uh, Lord, that you are God, that as, as people woke up on a rainy day, Father, that, that through kindness, people can understand that there is a God bigger than any storm. And uh, so, Father, I pray that we can declare that. We love you. We thank you. In your name, amen. My, uh, my kids sometimes have this thing where they, they'll get off the bus, they'll come running off the bus, and they'll be so excited, they'll be all smiles. There's a kid uh, around the corner that as we walk home that they like to play tag with, and so uh, they meet up with him, they start playing tag for about, uh, about a minute and a half, and then we walk, walk home, all smiles, all great, joking around with one another, and then they drop their door, they drop, they drop into the house, they drop their bag, and they're like, well, today sucked, this was a crappy day. And I'm like, how do we go from the bus to playing tag, and now all of a sudden you drop your bag, and today was an awful, awful day? Have you, have you been there? Maybe it's somebody that worked a long day, and it's been a great evening, and all of a sudden you go to bed at night, and they're like, yeah, it was a great day. Yeah, well, it kind of sucked for me. And you're like, how? Like, what? Like, after? Like, no, it doesn't make any sense. And, and we, I, I put this out there on social media, and I had two parents uh, say that their husbands had gone on, on either on a, on a trip or on a work trip or whatever, and they were saying that I was feeling like a failure as a mom and, and having a hard time with my kids for the weekend, and, and this, was, this was a very bad weekend, but then all of a sudden, one kid said, Mom, you're the best cooker, and she's like, that just turned everything around for me, and another mom said that as I was having a hard weekend, my, my daughter pulled me in close and just said, Mom, you're beautiful, and how it turned everything around. It went from instantly bad to, to instantly good. I experienced this last week when, when I, I left church with, with so many things good. I, I left here mad and angry and, and frustrated because some of our, our systems were breaking down or, or Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi wasn't working correctly, and in 2019, like, that's a big deal. And, like, things were going, like, getting all kind of, like, convoluted and whatnot. I left here with full of wrath. I just, like, so frustrated. I went from something good to something wrathful, something mad. And then, and then I started a group text with some of our leaders, and they're saying, Jason, we had about 300 people here this morning. J Jason, we had seven people indicate that they were interested in a relationship with Jesus. We had two people say that they want to get baptized. Jason, we, we had five people take a Bible indicating that they wanted to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Like, Jason, get out the way. Like, God is doing something good. and went from instantly good, instantly bad, to instantly good again when I started to gain a perspective of what God was doing in this moment. Like, in the world of instant, don't we always, don't we all have a, have a tendency to feel like this? Like, in a world where everything is so instant, things can go instantly good to instantly bad, and when they go from instantly good to instantly bad or vice versa, aren't we losing sight of reality and what God might be doing in the moment? 
when it goes to such an instant place, we, we, we get this tunnel vision. We get this, we get this fog where we're not seeing what God is doing. And Jonah is in that place. Jonah is somebody that's given over to emotional highs and lows, instant, instant emotions, and, and he's losing sight of God. He's so angry at God because God, like Jonah's facing a dilemma of his faith. God wants to give mercy and forgiveness to wickedly bad people. Like, think of the most heinous person you know or that has wronged you. You would be in that same dilemma of faith, wouldn't you? That God would want to extend the mercy, grace, forgiveness. But God never says that he's not going to punish them. God never says that they shouldn't be punished. What God is doing through this book of Jonah is that he wants to express this heart of forgiveness, this heart of like, I'm, I'm relentlessly pursuing people. Jonah, where are you with, with this? Where are you with this mission? God, what Jonah struggles with is that he doesn't see God the way, the way he ought, that, that our ways are not his ways. Jonah isn't seeing, seeing firsthand how God is seeing the situation. So there is this tension that you and I also face in our faith. And so here's, here's what happened. Some people, you know, like I had somebody come up and he's like, I don't know who this Jonah is, but like I'm going to be back next week because I want to hear more. And, and even though we're finishing up the book of Jonah this week, here's, here's, who Jonah, here's who Jonah is. Jonah's a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God. Here's what we said in chapter 1. God comes to him. He's a Jewish man. He says, God, God comes to him and says, go, go to the Ninevites. Tell them, tell them about repentance. Tell them that they, they have to turn from their wicked ways. And what Jonah does is he runs. He gets on a boat and he runs away from God. God sends a storm. The sailors in Jonah have this little bit of a conversation. The sailors decide, well, let's just throw him over. So they throw him up over into the ocean and, and the storm settles at that point. Jonah's drowning. We find that out in chapter 2. Jonah's drowning, and all of a sudden, there's a big old fish. You might have heard of Jonah and the whale, but it's Jonah and the big old fish. The big old fish comes up, swallows Jonah up. And in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, Jonah, Jonah prays to God for forgiveness. He, he, he turns to God. He takes a step of repentance. And when God sees that, meets him in that place, God has the fish vomit him out the mouth. He's on dry land. And, and then he goes to Nineveh. We saw that last week. And he, he says five Hebrew words, words, and what happens? Revival breaks up. All of a sudden, the whole city turns upside down. The king, everybody, they're, they're repenting. They're, they're, they're fasting. They're praying. They're going before God. And what it says in the last verse of chapter 3 is that God did not do to them as he had promised. God did not do to them as, as he said he was going to do. God relented of his anger. And now we meet Jonah in this conflict of faith where, where, Jonah, where Jonah says, but it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. This is the tipping point. This is, this is, this, it's, it's like, this is like where everything is boiling. Like, this is the climatic point for Jonah. Jonah has now seen that God is going to relent. And he has relented. And now he's exceedingly displeased with God. And he was angry. The, the Hebrew word is out of control anger. Have you felt the rage when you're cut off in traffic? Have you felt rage when your kid gives you the wrong look? Jonah is full of rage. His displeasure turns to anger, and that is a dangerous place to be. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, and that is perhaps the only positive thing that we can take from Jonah in this chapter. Where does he go with his anger? He goes to God. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said? When I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He's explaining why he left. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Couldn't we say that sentence in a positive manner? Couldn't we praise God for that? Some of us are praising God, lifting up hands because God is good. He doesn't disaster, abounding love. Like we praise God for that. But Jonah is looking at that, and he's angry. This is a faulty 
perspective, shouldn't all of that be good? Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord, and, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So God meets them. They have a little bit of a conversation. Here's what Jonah do. Jonah went out. Jonah doesn't speak back. He's like a three-year-old. Like, doesn't like the answer, doesn't like the conversation, so the three-year-old storms off. Jonah, Jonah is storming off in, in, in the city, and he sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He's, he's making his own shade. He's there. He's like, well, 40 days, maybe God's, maybe God's not going around. Maybe within 40 days, there's going to be some mushroom cloud. The city's going to blow up. Like, this is bad. I'm going to sit. I'm going to grab my nostrils and my beard to see this big old spectacle. And what God might do, he builds his shade, and he sat under in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. He was hoping they would be destroyed. God. God is questioning Jonah's anger as Jonah is going to God and questioning God's lack of anger. You see that tension. That would naturally bring up some tension. This is, what we're seeing here is the depravity of man at its finest. That, a, that, that, that the created being, the created being up in here would look to the creator and put blame on the creator. Jonah is borderline saying to God, you've been sinful. He's, he's accusing God of borderline sin. Like, that is depravity at its best. He's, he's looking to God. If you read between the lines, he's looking to God and saying, God, I knew this is why I couldn't trust you. I knew. I knew it. I knew you, I knew you were going to be forgiving. I knew you were going to be loving and stuff. Like, I, so misguided. Because what is Jonah saying when he says those types of things? He's saying, I don't have my expectations met. I, I have unmet expectations. I expected you to be one way, and you didn't do it. You didn't, you didn't destroy this city. Isn't that where a lot of our frustration flows from, unmet expectations? Because Jonah, Jonah is going, God, I have a problem with your grace. I'm good when you unexpectedly send me a fish, and I experience your grace. But to show it to other people, that's where I draw a line. He's, he's, he despairs that God, that God would be slow to anger. Jonah is not a patient person. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah hates that God is patient. He wants immediate destruction. He doesn't want the Ninevites to have any chance of repentance. Jonah has issue with God being slow to anger. But here's what Jonah really has an issue with God. The fact that God is God. He has, this, he, he has this problem that God has the freedom to be God. And that is what we would call un, unrighteous anger. With our, when, our, when, our, when it's unmet expectations that we're really mad at God for being God. We want to try to tame God on, on a leash of our expectations. But, but God can't be tamed on the leash of our expectations. God, we want, we don't want God to be the God that we, that we want to be, we want to make God, we want to be the puppet. We, or not the puppet, we want to be the guy holding the puppet. We, we want God to be our little puppet, but God, we don't want God to do that. Because if, if, if God was to be tamed by, by our expectations, Jonah's is, Jonah's fish food. In fact, we like that God is God because if God wasn't God, Jonah is, is at the bottom of a sea. And so God looks at him in his unmet expectations, in his anger, and says, do you do well to be angry? He's, he's honing in on anger because things have not gone the way that Jonah wanted it to go. He feels that tension, and where is he given over to? He's given over to anger. Did you walk into this place feeling that anger towards God or maybe feeling that anger towards another? 
In my days as a youth pastor, I, I experienced this with parents. I would, see, I would see students turning their lives over to Jesus. And it was a glorious. It was awesome. I could see life change. As they, as they grappled with who God is, I started to see that they were giving their lives over to God. But here's, here's what would happen. They would go back home, and they've been a turd for about three years in their home. And they're trying to turn over a new leaf. They're trying to do the right thing. But mom and dad, because they've been experiencing a child being a turd for a few years, what's their gut reaction every time the child's trying to do something? Anger. Even when the child's trying to do something good. Mom, I'll change that diaper. No, you're you're just going to ruin it. Or mom, maybe I'll get it. Like, mom, I'll do this. No, no, no. And their gut reaction is anger. And they would come in and they would talk to me, Jason, I'm trying to do the right thing, but my parents are so angry with me. And I had to go to them and say, well, just be gracious. Show that that this isn't just a short game. Show that this isn't just a fad. Show that you're going to make the right decision time and time again. Build your character. But maybe you're in that place of the parent right now where, where maybe your child, if you were to step back and not let, let anger control your thoughts, maybe, you're, maybe you'd see that your child might be trying to do the right thing. But you're too angry to see it. So where are you giving over to anger? Where has anger become the default? And might God be asking you the same question today? Do you do well to be angry? And we all, we all have, maybe, maybe it's not with a family situation. Maybe it's because you watch News 12. Maybe, maybe you're angry with God about lack of justice or unmet expectations because you see a heinous crime on TV and you're wondering, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Or maybe you go with this unmet expectation when, when you're at home and you feel like you're disrespected in your marriage. Maybe, maybe it is with your kids where you feel like you're repeating yourself over and over and over again, like, why won't you get it? And all of these unmet expectations, doesn't that lead us to anger? And anger is so powerful. And if you and I come into this place and or find a moment where we're feeling anger, it's caused pause. Why? Because anger fuels all sorts of the ugly. If you, it fuels somebody to, to, to curse. It fuels somebody, it fuels some people to be envious. It fuels, it fuels vengeance is mine. I'm so angry. I'll take control of vengeance. Anger fuels terrorism. Anger can fuel somebody leaving a church in, in anger instead of dealing with, the, dealing with the problem. Anger fuels all sorts of things. And aren't these not feelings of unrighteous anger? Here's how you can know if it's unrighteous anger. Ask yourself, is God angry about the same thing that I'm angry about? Am I angry about what angers God, or is there a disconnect? And if the answer is no, who, who needs to fix what they're, how they're viewing things? Is it not us? Because our anger puts us at odds with God, and that's where Jonah finds himself. And here's how, here's how the story, story now continues. Now, now, now the Lord, God, appointed a plant. Jonah took matters into his own hands, so God sends a plant. He's been doing that. He's been sending all sorts of things to get Jonah's attention to prove that he can do better. And so he sends a plant. Uh, and and it, made, it made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head. Oh, that's so nice. So to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah, here's that word again, was exceedingly, but this time it's a different emotion, exceedingly glad. God said a plant. He has shade. Everything's good. Emotional highs and lows. He, now he's glad, exceedingly glad, because of the plant. Jonah is not finding happiness in God. Jonah's finding happiness in the external. And, and so, and so, but, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. And so it, it withered. And, and when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, likely sun poisoning. And, and, and he asked that he might die and said, for it is better 
for me to die than to live. Again, he's going, he's connecting these emotions now to death. But God is making a point. God is, 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 is providing an object lesson. God, like, God, like Jonah, you're good when I, when I, when you're feeling discomfort, I send a plant. You're good with that. It's merciful me to grow a whole plant in a matter of a day. That's crazy. God does that to show Jonah mercy to fi- fix his perspective like he did when he sent a worm, like he sent the winds, like he sent the storms, like he sent the fish, all of these non-human things to fix Jonah's perspective. Because Jonah is good when he's feeling safe, when he has shade. But the same God, same sovereign God, same God who's in complete control, then sends a worm, then sends heat. Well, I'm good when you're good, God, but now I hate you. But now, now, now this is bad. Now, now this emotional high and low because he's not trusting the provision of God or he's seeing what God might do in this moment. And so he goes to a point in his thinking where it's better for me to die than to live. When Jonah could look back, he could take our core value of an uncommon relationship. We love uncommon relationships. We want, we don't, I don't want to be friends with people that only look like me, only vote like me, or only my age. We want uncommon relationships all about this place. We want uncommon relationships in our community where we want to reach people that no one else is reaching. Why? Because we want to see people, as many people in God's kingdom, as quickly as possible. Why? Because we celebrate the greatest uncommon relationship that you and I could ever know. Sinful man with a holy, perfect God. Ain't that an uncommon relationship up in this place? And yet that is what we celebrate. Jonah isn't isn't fixated on God. For God to extend an uncommon relationship to somebody else, oh, that is the worst. Here's the lesson for Jonah. Instead of hoping for destruction of someone else, why don't you cling to mercy? Why don't you look how impoverished you would be if you didn't have my mercy? And so I, I, I'm growing a little bit older now. I'm like 35, and it, it, it's a bummer because I'm at that age now where I feel like I'm still a 20-year-old. Like, have you, you remember that, those days? And so, like, I, I'm there in my life group, and I have a variety of ages in my life group, and it's good. It's, it's, some, it's an uncommon relationship. And I had some of the, the younger, like younger folk. Can I sound like a fuddy-duddy and say that? I had some of the younger folk in my home, and, uh, and they started throwing around words that I didn't know, and so I felt like an idiot in my home. And so instead of feeling like an idiot in my home, I just went along with it like, yeah, shade, yeah, shade, yeah, shade, throwing shade, yeah, throwing, like, I just started, like, playing along, because I wasn't going to feel like an idiot up in my house, and uh, so I played along, and, uh, and then afterwards, I was like, well, I don't, like, are they talking, because in my day, I was like, are they talking about Slim Shady, is that who we're talking about, like, oh, you know, like, uh, the real Slim Shady, please, I was like, what are they talking, but I was just playing along, and, uh, and so uh, I texted my good friend Alicia, who's younger, and she knows all of that, all of the lingo. And so I texted her and said, hey, tell me about this throwing shade terminology so I'm not an idiot. And this is how the conversation, conversation went. I asked her, I, I, even t- I was good. I said, I, I'm going to use this in a sermon. And, uh, and so I spelled shade wrong because there wasn't a little wiggly, a squiggly line. I forgot the E. Uh, and so she corrected that with an asterisk, and, but, she, but she, threw in the, she threw in the two emojis, so she was really nice to me. And, uh, and she said, it's a witty way to insult someone that can either be passive-aggressive or direct. And so I feel like I'm pretty witty. And so I said, would it be, would it be shade to passively-aggressive correct spelling with an asterisk? And, and so she said, yes, you caught on to that. And so... Uh, <laughs> 
So I was very thankful that she threw, she, she threw shade onto me. And that is, that is what God is doing with Jonah. God is throwing shade, both literally and figuratively, onto Jonah to fix his perspective and show him that there's a different way of thinking. Have you ever had to throw shade on somebody? Maybe, maybe, it, was the, maybe it was your employee who's complaining about a 2% raise. Little do they know you didn't get a raise, and they only got a raise because you didn't get a raise. Have you ever thrown shade on your kids to tell them about how life used to be? <laughs> how, how easy they have it compared to how life was for you growing up with, with how mom and dad or whatnot. You had to throw shade on them to give them a little bit of perspective with what they're going through. Maybe, maybe you have a, a, a high school daughter that, that just broke up with their boyfriend and their whole world has ended. And you have to throw shade on them to say, well, your, your boyfriend was kind of a dirtbag. And so once you take a step back, you're going to realize this was actually kind of a good thing. And you have to, they don't want to hear it in the moment, but you throw a little shade onto them to give them a little bit of perspective. And for us, the question is, where do you and I need to have shade thrown on our life? If God is completely in control and sovereign, who needs to shift their perspective, us or God? And so God is going to need to throw shade on us to fix our perspective. It's a simple prayer. God, help me to see life as you see life. God, in this situation, I want to view it as you view this situation. And if we pray that prayer, we're going to want to apply it into a variety of different areas because we all at different times are given over to, to be tempted to lash out to God when we have unmet expectations and we need shade thrown on us to fix our perspective. And so here's how the story, the whole book now concludes. But God said to Jonah, God speaks, do you do well to be angry for the plant? It's a similar question. It's an object lesson now. Now he's starting to change the perspective. Now he's bringing out Jonah's foolishness and said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Again, he's linking anger and death. And, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You did nothing. Nor did you make it grow, which came into the be being in a night and was perished in a night. It lasted a day. And should I not pity Nineveh? When he uses that word, it's a word for care. And as, you're, as the Hebrews are, are, are reading this and understanding this, they would understand that that word is communicated in such a way where God has, has tears in his eyes and his care for the Ninevites. The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much catter. He brings two things. Jonah, these are ignorant people. These are ignorant people. And then he brings in cattle to say, Jonah, if you don't care about the people, will you care about the cattle? What will you care about? And they're at odds with each other. And he's going to Jonah to present, Jonah, might there be something besides anger that you can cling to? But Jonah doesn't want to see another perspective. He's only given over to anger. Jonah, in this object lesson, Jonah, you're mad about something that you have no control over. You got mad instead of taking pleasure that I gave you a day of comfort. Jonah, this is irrational. This is, this is misguided. Jonah, this lasted a day, and you said now this is a hill, and a literal hill or a figurative hill that you're willing to die on. You're, I'm, I'm angry enough to die looking at me, creator, saying, God, don't be concerned about people. Be concerned about me and my plant. <laughs> Jonah is, is a really selfish person. He has, he has passion over something that lasted a day. I've been dating this person for a day, and they're not texting me. Well, to heck with this. <laughs> 
I sent a DM and I saw that he looked in, and it's been a day. To heck with this! <laughs> it's Jonah's angry over something that is disproportionate to the length of time that's been going on. Jonah, what, 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 what gives? And he's revealing God. He's re- Jonah, God is revealing Jonah's self-centeredness, his shallowness. And here's, here's what I think, how we connect this to anger. Selfish people are sometimes the most angered people. Why? Because they're, most, they're the most easily offended people. Think about the person in your life that's the most easily offended person. Don't say it out loud. Don't text it, nothing. Just have that image in your head. Who, who do you find to be the most easily offended person? Do you see selfishness anywhere in their life? Likely those two are connected. Why? Because I'm so easily offended because it's not going my way. Versus a selfless person who says love covers a multitude of sin. A selfless person who can roll with the punches. A, 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 a selfless person who's, who's, going, who's going to in turn say, God, you're merciful. God, I love that. God, I want, to, I want to extend that. And so God brings this final perspective with an abrupt ending. I am merciful. I am God. I am relenting in, in love. Jonah, get on board or get out of the way. <laughs> Jonah, you feel such compassion about a vine you didn't create. Shouldn't I be compassionate and merciful about things that I did create. These are ignorant people, and I want to show them that there is a better way. I want to leave the Ninevites without excuse to turn to me. So how does this play out in our, in our lives? Do we, do, we have, do we exude passion in the form of frustration when the Wi-Fi drops? <laughs> when, do we exude passion in the form of frustration when all of a sudden the transmission is broken, or, or passion in the form of frustration when the faucet, or faucet is leaky, or passion, when, passion over all these all, all, like everyday type of things that can come in, and, and, we, and, we, and we exude such passion when things don't go our way, but do we exude that same amount of passion for people that don't know Jesus? I, I'm so angry over the Wi-Fi while I sit next to somebody that doesn't, ha- doesn't know who Jesus is. They're ignorant to Jesus. Might that, when we exude such passion over Wi-Fi or a broken screen on my cell phone or whatever it might be, isn't that a form of saying, God, why weren't you merciful to my Wi-Fi? God, why weren't you merciful to my cracked screen? God, why aren't you merciful to my faucet or my car, whatever it might be? And God's looking at you and saying, you're draining so much emotional energy being angry about the wrong things. Be angry about what angers me that people don't know me and get on board. You're draining your energy that should be used for reaching people that don't know Jesus. And we're self-absorbed in worldly concerns. We lose sight of the mandate to reach lost people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's, can you turn on the lights for a second? I need two volunteers. Brady, I'm going to trust you. Come up here for a second. Brady, if you guys didn't know, he's named after the greatest quarterback of all time. He has six rings. Uh, and so you got two people to clap for you. That's awesome. He is seven. You should clap for him. Uh, you're six? Crap. Okay. All right. So, okay, stay right there. Don't do anything. All right. Can you come up here for a second? Yeah. Okay. You're going to be on Facebook Live, so tell, tell everybody, okay? All right. Stand here. Here's what, here's what I want you guys to do. All right. Brady, you'll go first, okay? And you have to do everything I say. You can't chirp me, okay? All right. I want you to jump to the back wall, okay? So just simply jump off the stage. Jump off the stage. Okay. Okay. Very, very close. All right. Okay. So stay right there. All right. Same thing. Can you jump off the stage and, and, and get to the back wall for me? Okay, all right, good. Okay, now stand right here. That's helpful. You made it farther than Brady. That's good. All right, can you, can you play, play the video because I, I, I'm competitive and I need a lesson on this how to do This video is for yeah. those athletes who are engaging in the 
standing long jump. Coach John, you'll notice he's approaching the line. You, all, you look at the placement of his toes. You always want to get as close to the launching board during your long jump as possible. Now, you notice John, Coach John is getting in position. He is bending down. Look at his knees, his arms. You're going to want to emphasize your arms going back like that because you need them to help you with the jump. You make one fluid movement, which Coach John is getting ready, and... Okay, and you'll notice he landed with both feet. Oh, you feet. can end it because straight everybody sees well. how I destroyed these and he people. Straight I am very competitive. All right, here I made it to roughly the second second row. Here's here's actually the world record. It's about it's about 12 feet. So 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 without the help of a stage. So this is like the world record. Here's here's the problem with Jonah. None of us even made it halfway to the back wall. Jonah's looking at them and saying, I don't care that you didn't have a video to help you. I don't care that you weren't stretching all morning to prove a point. I don't, I don't care that you didn't know what was going on. Jonah's looking at them and saying, God, come on. They, they suck. God, come on. Destroy them. They didn't make it as far as I made it. Look at me. You know what Jonah is? Jonah's like the person that grew up in a Christian home and has every reason to turn to Jesus. Jonah's the person that's not ignorant to the truth of God, and, and they have turned to Jesus. Jonah has a faulty perspective, though, where he forgets that. He's, bringing, he's trying to invite God to destroy these people when Jonah needs to turn around, change his perspective, and see that back wall to resemble God's holiness. Jonah, you didn't make it anywhere close to that back wall. You, you, there's a great big gap between you and my holiness, and you lose sight of that. Instead of inviting God to smite them, maybe you should turn around, fix your perspective on me, and invite them to come closer to Jesus. Get us a goal. Let's go closer to God's holiness. Let's get, become more like Jesus. If this is your perspective, and you're focused on holiness and God, you want to invite them into the process. So change your orientation. You guys can have a seat. The point that we're trying to make here, you can turn the lights. The point that we're, we're trying to make here is that a faulty perspective leads to faulty anger. That's what you and I experience when, when, we, when we go about our anger. We have a faulty perspective when we go anger towards God. That we don't see things as God sees it. And at some level we can't. And that creates tension. Why can't we? Because we're finite. Because we, don't, we can't see the whole world as God sees the world. Why? Because God is God and he sees it all. And we, because we are finite, will always need these moments where God has to throw shade on our lives to correct our perspective and our humanity. God is saying, view the world as I view the world and here's what's going to happen. You'll turn and you'll praise me. You'll take your frustration and your anger and, and, you, and you'll walk in faith, you'll walk in trust. You'll, you'll, take your, you'll take your doubt and you'll praise, you'll walk in faith. You'll, you'll see me as trustworthy with everything that I have done for you. So are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go to God and say, God, fix my perspective? Here's, here's my challenge for us this morning is that you and I would clear our lens. That whatever the situation that you needed a perspective change as you walked in here, might you have a dirty lens on your glasses that you need to fix to look at a situation more positively and see how God might be working through it to take a step of faith, take a step of trust, and be grounded in a God-centered perspective. And when you feel tension... Are you going to go to God and say, God, I trust that you are wiser. I trust that you are infinitely bigger than I am, and I am going to fix my perspective towards you. I'm going to fix my perspective towards you instead of bringing you my anger. Here's, here's what will happen if we, if we don't do that. You know what we will become as a church? A cynical church. 
And you know, you know what a cynical church is? Well, no one who experienced gas day today is going to want to come to a cynical church. Ain't nobody got time for a cynical church. But if we give our perspective over to God and meet him with praise, here's what's going to continue to happen at Wellspring. We're going to be given over to gratitude. We're going to be erupting in praise as we say, God, I trust you. God, I'm, I have the dirty glens, but uh, glens, I trust you. We will be given over to praise for God. Now, now fairness is something that Jesus had to deal with. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to close with, with this. This is, what, this is what Jesus says to in Matthew 4, or I'm sorry, in Matthew about fairness. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for, for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So a little bit later in the day. And he said, and, he, and, and to them he said, you... You go, um, I'm sorry, uh, you go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out about the sixth and the ninth hour. He did the same, and he did the same, and about the eleventh hour, he went out about others standing, standing, and he said to them, why do you stand idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, go into the vineyard. And, and when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers in and pay, for, pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And those who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received the same amount of money, a denarius. And now those who were hired first came and they thought that they would receive more. Because each one of them, they saw that the others received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these, these, these last worked only one hour, and, and you, have made, you, had, you have made them equal to us who have, been born, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, and he said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. You, did you not agree to work for me for one denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give the, this to the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed? To do what I choose with my belongings. Do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first shall be last. We don't define fair as God defines fair. And in the end, that is not a tree we want to bark, bark up. That is not a road we want to go down saying, God be fair. God be fair. Because what fair isn't? Fair isn't killing the perfect son of God. Fair, fair isn't, fair, what fair would be is leaving us dead in our sin, deserving of punishment. Fair is you and I both getting what we deserve, and fair isn't heaven, fair is hell. So may we stop and we praise God that sometimes he isn't fair. Sometimes you and I don't get what we deserve. Maybe we should stop and say, God, it's not fair that you would show me relentless love, but you do. And I praise God for that. And I will erupt in praise for your relentless love. Let's sing. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.